Blog Talk Radio. If I speak for your followers, and I speak for your ex-followers, and I speak for the curious outsiders looking in, and you remain silent in the shadows and don't let your balls drop enough to come out and say something, then I say, who do you speak for, Mr. Miscavige? Anything on earth that says, don't listen to your mom and dad, don't talk to your mom and dad, that's bad, they're wrong. Absolutely believe his own bullshit. Now, does that mean he believed it from day one? I don't know. Hubbard reveals to them that he is the Antichrist. Scientology has not helped you. You have helped yourself. Uh, yes, I'm absolutely positive that happened because I was physically abused in Scientology. We're crossing the line into torture. Do you think there is a rape culture in Scientology? I think that there is a culture in Scientology that children are not children, so, yeah. Welcome to a very special edition of Come Get Some Extra with uh, today Lori Hodgson uh, talking about her uh, disconnection from her children for the first time in over a year. Um, just want to say before we get on with the interview, the definition of hope is the feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen, the feeling of trust, a hope that this can happen. Um, everything in life is based in hope, uh, even faith. If you have the, the most faith in God, faith definition is very much like hopes in the way that it is, uh, a still more confident hope, basically. So everything in life, getting out of bed in the morning, seeing your children grow up and be successful, um, you know, being there for your friends or your family, it's all hope, hope that you'll be able to see this, hope you'll be able to accomplish this, hope you'll, you'll achieve your goals. It's all hope. And uh, while there's no denying that uh, what's happened to Lori and other families um, in, in the Scientology community, that in the SP community has been this disconnection and this heartbreak, of course. Uh, but I can only uh, imagine uh, that the best thing, if anything, I can recommend is to keep up hope. With that in mind, here's Lori Hashin's story. Okay, today uh, I have a very special guest, uh, someone I've been talking to for over a year about her story, and now we're finally going to talk about it on the air. Uh, after seeing her children on television uh, speak out against her in those POW-style videos that Scientology puts out against their enemies, uh, Lori was not uh, in a condition where she felt like she could speak, and, and now she's speaking up again. So welcome to the show, Lori. I'm glad to have you. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me, Chris. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, definitely. Uh, very important, uh, your your story, because it's it's a classic story of this connection. Um, and it's a severe one in a way that you, you've never, from my understanding, from our conversations, you've never had an issue with your children. Like, you don't have any ill will or anything towards your children. Not at all. I have unconditional love for them. I don't blame them one bit for this disconnection. I blame Scientology for that. I blame Scientology fully that they ripped my family apart. Okay. And the things we talked about, so 
a lot of times when I have someone on, on the show, we talk about how they got into Scientology and their past and their experience. But, but this is going to be a little bit different in the way we want to focus on what happened with your kids. Um, the main thing, though, uh, I, I will say that I didn't realize this. I've been talking to you for a year, and I didn't even realize you are a second-generation Scientologist. Well, you were a second-generation Scientologist. That's right. My kids are a third-generation. Third-generation. And and part of the so reason... I, well, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, so, um, yeah, and how I got involved, I was 13 years old. My mom and I had a real strong Lutheran background. We were both baptized Lutheran, and I went to Sunday school, and my mom was a Sunday pre... Uh, teacher and um, my parents got divorced and then she met my first stepfather he's not alive anymore and his name was Jerry Freitas and he introduced my mom and I to Scientology that's how we found out about it okay so you did um, you did some time in Scientology where you got uh, uh, Sea Org recruiters are coming trying to recruit you at a young age Yes, I started at 13, and I took some classes along with my mom, and then when I was 15, uh, I got approached to uh, join Scientology staff. It's not the Sea Org. It's working at a, at a Scientology mission part-time. And um, they recruited my mom and I, but they put us in separate rooms, and my mom signed a two-and-a-half-year staff contract. And I signed a five-year staff contract at 15, part-time. And my mom, after we were done, thought I signed a two-and-a-half. That's what she was told I was going to do. But they pressured me for wow. five years, and she was furious. And um, she wanted me to change it. Anyway, I didn't. You know, at 15, you think you know everything, just like when my kids were approached. And um, I fulfilled that five-year contract. But during that five years, I think I was about 15 and a half, Sea Org recruiters came in in their military-style um, uniforms and approached me and gave me a hard sell to join the Sea Org. And I didn't know much about the Sea Org at that time. I just had a gut instinct. This was not a good thing. I just felt really uh, in fear with these people. And... I told them I can't do that. My dad was not um, for Scientology, so I had to handle my dad with, uh, uh, it's called Good Roads, Good Weather, meaning that um, I got him not to talk bad about Scientology, and, you know, I didn't have to worry about losing my dad. So I told them that, and I think that's why they backed off, because my dad, my real father, was not for Scientology. So I don't know, but I did not want to join the Sea Org. And I did fulfill my staff contract at um, 20 years old. Okay, so so that's kind of part of uh, you know when, when we when we jump forward because we're going to make a pretty big jump to what happened with your children. Um, that's kind of a, a a bit of a background to go off of to go. Yeah, I don't want my kids to be part of that. Um, which I think was a yeah, concern and of yours. Thing is I dropped out of high school. I dropped out of high school and got my GED because I wanted to. Um, you know, be able to work more hours at Scientology, but I didn't get that high school background. Right. I only got the Scientology study background, and so I didn't have an education. And when I finished my staff contract at 20, I went back to school, but I didn't have a high school background. I went to college and flunked out my first year, 
And then I got a tutor. My dad's best friend tutored me in English and taught me how to study. And then I graduated, didn't, didn't use the study technology that I learned in Scientology. I learned how to study the normal way. And I graduated with honors and went to Chico State and graduated and got my degree in Wow. Isn't that something? And nutrition. So, yeah, I, I got robbed of my schooling because I, I just didn't even have that education. It was more just Scientology. And it was very hard. But I did it, you know. Luckily, I had that tutor that taught me how to study. Yeah, so... so I, didn't want my kid, I didn't want my kids to go through what I went through. I wanted them to finish school. That was a big deal for me, to have them finish high school. Yeah, I've seen that um, a lot, where people, even staff, you know, you, you associate usually um, uh, bad experiences for kids being in, like, the cadet org, on a ranch, or, or in Sea Org. And it turns out that there's, there are people who were, you know, from, from a public background or a staff background who, um, who had very similar experiences because you wanted to dedicate so much to, to Scientology that they, uh, they, they forego their, their real education. And it just goes to show that education you get with Scientology with what they give you is, is not enough. It isn't at all. I mean, look what happened to me. I flunked my first year of junior college. So, um, but during those five years I was on staff, I saw things that I was questioning. I did not want to continue my staff contract. Um, I would always question, why is it so expensive if you want everyone to, you know, they call it clear the planet, where everybody's a Scientologist, and I kept, they did not like me asking that question. Because I'd say, well, why is it, it seems like it's not right if it's so expensive to do Scientology. But I saw things like them forcing me to go on a course on the weekend, and they didn't like it that I wanted to go to the lake on the weekend and be with my father, my real father. They called me middle class, which means that I wasn't dedicated to Scientology 100%. I wanted to go to the lake and have fun and go snow skiing and, you know, be with my family. It was really important to me, and I saw them trying to make me wrong for that. And some weekends I had to stay and study, and I just hated it. So I, I knew I didn't want to not stay on staff, and I think going to school gave me a good reason to get away from it all. I didn't do Scientology the whole time I was in college. I didn't take class, nothing. That was five years. So this, is it almost like being under the radar, kind of like you're not practicing, but you're not out? Yeah, I didn't want to say, I didn't want to do it. My mom was still uh, doing Scientology, but at that time, I think she was just kind of taking a little bit of a break, too. But, you know, we have heard stories that if you leave, you lose your family. And it's like, I just had a great excuse. I was away at Chico State going to college, and then I met my, my, uh, my first husband, who was a Scientologist, and that's when I got back, you know, involved a little bit stronger than I was. Let's talk about uh, Good Roads Fair Weather for a second. Uh, was that, I, I haven't, I've heard of this, I've, I've heard people talk about it. I, I haven't really looked into it too much. Uh, is this a process? Is this something you have to take courses for? Is this cost money too? No, it's an ethics handling. The ethics officer is the one you go to if you're having problems in the church, if you're having family problems, if you're not having, you know, if you're disagreeing, you go to the ethics officer, and they're there to handle you. 
to, you know, make sure that there's no problems for Scientology. So like with my, my real father, he gave me an article. I think it was the Times Magazine article. It was a critical article on Scientology. And he gave it to me and he was really concerned that I was involved in Scientology. I told my mom and they had my mom and I both go into the organization and talk to this ethics officer. And they read the policy that if you have a family member that's critical, you have two choices. You have to disconnect which I'll never see my dad again, or you handle them. It's a handle step, and how you handle them, it's called good roads, good weather, meaning that you have to get that family member to stop being critical that you're doing Scientology. They have to totally stop, and you have to handle them by good roads, good weather, by, like, if they bring it up, you change the subject. You know, that's why they call it good roads, good weather. You don't talk about Scientology, you talk about the weather. You talk about everything else so that you can still remain, you know, family member, have that person in your family. I mean, be a part of your family. So it's just this, you know, it's something they read to me. It was in the ethics book. I wish I still had those, but I threw everything away. (laughs) Okay, so if you were to have complications, if you were to show doubts, if you were to have any kind of uh, concern with ethics, they'd pull you in and they would ask you about, your dad being a PTS, is that correct? A, a potential trouble source? Yes, potential trouble source for me, right. Okay. And, and uh, there's, there's two choices, handle or disconnect. Okay, so so good roads, fair weather is more of a handling you know, pro- than, a, uh, than anything else. Yeah, I think it's good roads, good weather. Good roads, yeah. okay. So it's a handle step. And if you can't handle them, like if my dad kept bringing it up, then I would have to disconnect to him, from him. Crazy. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, that's what happened there. Right. Okay. So so let's move forward to um to exactly what happened um with your son and daughter, if if we could. Sure. So I married a Scientologist, Jim Lake, and um, we had children. And then I worked at a uh, Scientology school. And he was a contractor. Um, And I think this happened right before my daughter got recruited, a couple years before. This is an important part. I saw my my boss crying because her 15-year-old daughter was going in the sea arc. And I caught her crying. I was going down to um, the office, and I saw her in her office just crying. I said, Jean, what's wrong? And she said, I can't talk about it. And I'm just like, and she opened up. She said, Holly's going in the Sea Org. And I go, well, just say no. She's only 15. She said, I, I can't say no, and I can't talk about this, or I'll get in trouble. I was like, what? So I started to worry. My kids were younger that, oh, my God, what if this happens to my kids, and I, I can't stop it? So... uh when I divorced my Scientology husband, I took my kids out of the Scientology school because I couldn't afford it. It was six fifty a month for each kid at that time. Um, that was pretty high, and I was a single yeah. mom. <laughs> so I put them in public school, and they, you know, the transition was a little hard at first, but then they started doing well. And my daughter's in ninth grade. She's fifteen. She's getting A's and B's. Uh, they weren't taking Scientology classes at night. 
they were just having a normal life, you know, doing sports and going to the lake and going snowshoeing. And I was always labeled the mom that was PC, that was middle class because I wouldn't focus on just Scientology and going on course. And <clears throat> my daughter uh, was going to go to Chico State and check out the schools, and she wanted to be a veterinarian. We just came back from uh, July 4th weekend with my mom. We had a really fun week, and Jessica's so excited about being a veterinarian, and she's doing really good in school. And my ex-husband took her down to a Scientology event. And after a couple hours, she was there. The next day, she comes in my office, or I think it was one or two days later, and her dad drove her. He was out in the parking lot, and she comes in and says, uh, can I talk to you, Mom? I was at work. I didn't have a client at that time, and she said, so I decided I want to drop out of school, get my GED, and go on staff and work for Scientology. This is my purpose in life. I'm all, what? I mean, I, my heart just sunk. I was just like, how could this be after we just spent a week vacation and you talking about, you know, going to school and being a veterinarian and I was just so proud of her. And then now she just, everything's gone. All her dreams, everything, after a couple hours down at Scientology. I was, so I broke down crying. She was so insistent. Mom, this is what I want to do. Uh, you know, she, she walked out of my room, went and told my mom. And my and then my mom got so upset and said, you can't do this. Your mom said, no, you need to wait till you're 18. That's what I told her. Absolutely not. And, but I was crying, and my mom was trying to talk to her, and she said she had to go to the bathroom, but she actually left, got in the car with her dad, and then, uh, you know, that's when they started to try to handle me to change my mind about saying no, that I wanted my daughter to stay in school, that she can make this decision when she's 18, because I know what happened to me. I didn't want her to go through that. Wow. And I think you're too young. At 15, you're too young to make that kind of decision. Yeah. Let me ask you. Let me ask you. What was the, what was the, um, what was the parent situ- parental situation? Who had, um, who had custody? Was it joint custody? I had sixty percent, and Jim had forty. I'm pretty sure. It might a, have been fifty-fifty, but I think I had sixty, and he had forty. So. Well, you had majority. Yeah, we had joint custody basically, but I had a little bit more, and. The other kids were living with me half the time and with their dad half the time, but he took them down there on his time, my daughter. My son was only 12 at that time. So your say should but, matter. No, but it, they, had to, they had to get my approval. Right. You can't just have one parent. parent. So they, they worked on me for six months. I was already doing some other counseling. They took me off that, and they did like this, uh, <clears throat> it's called like security checking. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, it's okay. And basically, they, they pull you in, and they ask you questions like, who does not like uh, Scientology? They want to find who your PTS to. Like, they can't understand why I would say no. I don't want my daughter to drop out of school and be on staff. They, they didn't think it was for me. They thought it was either for my stepdad or my father. Um, and they kept pressuring me. This went on for months. Then they put me in with another counselor. They couldn't break me. I was just like, no. And I was strong. And then we had to go see a chaplain. A chaplain in Scientology is the one you go to if you have, like, family matters or family 
they're not agreeing and you're trying to work out a plan. So that went on for like a month or two. Wow. And I was in there with my daughter, with the chaplain, with the person who, where I took classes at. I mean, it was high pressure. And I had to come up with an agreement. They would not budge, so I said, fine. I'll let my daughter go back to a Scientology school because I knew that would buy me time. She's only 16. Or she's only 15 and a half. And I'm like, that'll buy me some time. She'll change her mind. I was thinking I had a couple years of her being in high school. Little did I know she, they graduated her in three months with a bogus high school diploma. Mm-hmm. And I told her she should join when she's done with high school. That was my fault. I should have put an age to it. So then she joined staff against my wishes, and I told her that if you join staff, Jessica, and you want to leave, you're going to have a debt. See, I knew better. When I was 15, I did not leave. I fulfilled my five years because I would have had a debt. Whatever classes you take when you're on staff or any counseling and you leave, you have to pay that back. So I told her, oh, no problem. I'm never going to leave. I'm never going to leave. This is what I want. This is my purpose in life. I'm like, okay. So she joined staff. Uh, my son's still in public school. He's doing well. And he sees the agony I went through trying to fight for her to stay in school. He sees all this and says, Mom, I'm never going to do that to you. Mm. And I don't want to do that. I want to stay in school. And he was on my side. So she goes, they take her, they send her to Florida to do some training for the local org she joined. And she got homesick. And she came back. And then she tried to do staff here, and then she said she didn't want to be on staff anymore. And I told her, I said, you're going to have a debt. Well, after a couple months that she was on staff, she had a debt of twelve to $13,000. So. Oh, wow. She's, she's 16 years old. twelve to $13, and she can't do Scientology unless she pays it back. So... Um, you know, she was trying to borrow the money. Anyway, my mom ended up loaning her the money so that she wouldn't be in bad standing with Scientology. And they, they, they said after, they were telling her that if she could get the money in a couple of days, that they would, they would cut it in half. So basically my mom loaned her $6,000. But she had to also do amends, like hundreds of hours of amends because she wanted to leave staff. Now, is, is this, I'm sorry, is this like the freeloader's debt with Seorg where, like, you technically probably really yes. legally don't have to pay it back, but if you want to stay in good standing, you have to? Yes, it's okay. the same thing. Okay. It applies to staff. Same thing. But staff, you're working, aren't you? No, she was there full time. But, but as, a, as an employee, right? Yes. So how do you have debt when you're working? I, I don't get that. She has debt because she left. If she would have fulfilled her five years, she wouldn't have had the debt. Yeah, but what what were they saying she owes for? What what, what services was she receiving that cost $6,000? She was getting Scientology counseling because she wanted to leave. They put her in the security checking. Oh, gotcha. Okay. I'm sorry. I just misunderstood that. And that was $13,000, $12,000 or $13,000 in a few months because she wanted to leave. So gotcha. they want to make sure, you know, why do you want to leave? And are you hooked up to a CTS person? Oh, they for God's sake. you. Yeah. That was her debt. And maybe some little courses she took in Florida. I got gotcha. you. It added up. So I get her straightened out. She goes back to school. She wants to be a preschool teacher like I was. 
she gets her little certification and she's a preschool teacher. She's doing well. Um, and she's like 17. She meets a Scientology boyfriend. And then I had to go in for a knee replacement. Now my son is 15 and I just got out of surgery from my first knee replacement that was actually too big. So I was really in a lot of pain. I, I was not doing well. And I was at home trying to recover, and my son comes in. He's 15. My daughter's working at the preschool. And uh, I'm laying there. I'm on high levels of pain pills, not doing well at all, because I had the wrong knee replacement in my leg. And it's week after Thanksgiving, 2008. And he comes in, uh, and he says, uh, so, Mom, I, I want to talk to you. And I, I'm like, okay. And he sits down because he's been with his father for the weekend, and he said, I, I want to join the Sea Org, and I want to leave in a couple days. I, I, I just lost it. I was like, that's even worse than staff, because the Sea Org, they're going to take my son away from me, and he's going to go to Florida, and I'll probably not see him very much, or not at all. And I, I, I just lost it. I he, just, um, he was never going to do that. I just said, absolutely not. I mean, I just said, no way, you're not going to do this. Here we go again, second kid. But this yeah. is worse. This is the Sea Org. And I was like, and I was still in good standing with Scientology at this point. So that was not a good story. That, that uh, part of my story is probably the worst because um, I broke down. My husband saw this. My, my sign, my, he's not a Scientologist. Um, and he took a couple classes, and he never went to do Scientology after he saw this whole scene play out. And he called the person down at the church and said, you need to back off. Lori is not in a state to have her son coming over here and saying he's going to join the Sea Org in a couple days. She said, no, back off. They didn't back off. They had recruiters slamming on my door. Um, one time I said, you need to leave. My real father's coming. And if he sees this, it's not going to be a good scene for the church. So you better leave. And I'm, I, can, I can't even walk. I'm yelling through the door, leave. And my dad shows up, and remember, I couldn't tell my dad what was going on, because I, I was still in good standing. I oh, yeah. I anything. <sighs> so I fought that, and um, I had to get basically a letter to get them to back off, because I was not doing well. I ended up, I couldn't sleep because of the recruiters and trying to handle me to let my son go. I, uh, I got pneumonia and a ovarian cyst rupture and had to go back in the hospital a couple weeks after my, my son told me this, got a doctor's letter for them to back off until I could get strong enough to fight this. I think I got a three-month doctor's letter. And, and they were still recruiting Jeremy behind my back, which I have a letter written that they're not supposed to do. And uh, he decided he wasn't going to go in the Sea Org. I was so happy. Uh, then my daughter goes to L.A. and she gets recruited for the Sea Org, but she says no or she said she's going to think about it. And I'm getting ready to go in for my second knee replacement because the first one was too big. And the, then the, the pressure started happening again with Jeremy, and he's trying to handle me to say yes. He's, six, he's 15 and a half. And I'm like, no, we already talked about this. You're not going. I go, Jeremy, I have to go in the hospital in two weeks and have my knee done. I can't talk about this with you. I'm not doing well. You're not going. Well, they pressured me and pressured me and pressured me that I, I knew I was going to lose my son to disconnection. 
if I didn't say yes. Because when I said no with my daughter, when she when I made her stay in public school, for that time I said no. They turned her against me. She started failing in school. She didn't, you know, she just looked at me like with hate in her eyes. And I didn't want that to happen with, uh, again with my son. So I said yes. If you have to have your schooling, I want you to have your, you know, everything. I want to call you whenever I can. I want you to come home on your 16th birthday. They promised me all these things, Chris. So I let my son go in the Sea Org. I had to. I, I was broken down. I was in pain. I was in agony. I had to do. And I just, the pressure from what happened with my daughter, my son, I, they really worked me. And I let, her, let him go. He was in there for two weeks. And then my daughter comes in the hospital the second day. Uh, so I had my, my knee replacement. Um, and then the second day, she comes in. And I'm not doing very well. It was a real um, intense surgery. I think it was four hours long, and I had to have a blood transfusion. And I was not in a very good state. And she comes in and says, so, Mom, I'm going to be joining the Sea Org. And I'm leaving tomorrow, and I'm going to get married. So they've already had taken my son, <laughs> right? And now mm-hmm. my daughter says this to me. And I just absolutely broke down in the hospital. I, I did so bad. I couldn't sleep. Um, the next day my dad came to see me in the hospital, and I, um, I basically went into shock, and I stopped breathing. My dad had to run down the hallway and get the medical response team. I almost died. So it's just interesting that Scientology, when they talked to, you know, when I was younger, we were told that when someone's going through a painful experience, uh, to be quiet and to not cause them any more pain or suffering. And so they violated their own policy with with having them send my daughter and to say goodbye and she's joining the field when I'm in the hospital. And then with my son and he's fifteen and a half and I'm recovering. But, I mean you just don't do that. Well not even no, not not even from a not even from a Scientology policy standpoint or Dianetic standpoint, but just 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 uh integrity wise, just uh what's the word I'm looking for? Just just common common decency. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's inhumane to do that. My husband, that if you ever, if he ever speaks out, this is what he wants to talk about: is what happened to me in the hospital and what the, how they tried to take my kids at my lowest point. See, I couldn't fight. I, you, you're so in pain. You, what do you do? You try and you just, you know. But I'll tell you, I, I got revived. The medical response team and man, I, I must have made some decisions because I just looked at all this. I still was in good standing. But I'll tell you, I never, I, I, I think at that point I never wanted to go back and do another Scientology counseling again. I was just like, but I didn't say anything. Um, so my sons, I get back home and I'm recovering. My son is um, not calling me. I can't reach him. So they're breaking their promise already there with me. My daughter's in the Sea Org. My son's in the Sea Org. Well, she leaves after a month because they didn't let her get married. They found out that her fiancé had some ethics problems and sent him to a different uh, sea org in Mexico. So they separated them. Well, she got upset about it, and she left. So now I have her home, 
Jeremy's still there. And we went to dinner, and she shared things with me that she wasn't supposed to share, like that they screamed at her. And uh, she said, I'm not doing the counseling, because she knew if she had to do the counseling that she'd have a big debt. So hmm. she refused it. I have no idea how she got out of it without a free letter debt. I, I, I didn't get that part. So she's back. Um, she get, works back at the preschool, and my son's there, and I call all the time, and I can't get through to him. They're, they're saying he's in school. He's studying. So I talk to my son in seven months, five times. And I finally get a call after six months that he's coming home. But I don't know why. Is he coming home to visit? And I, I put two and two together. I guess he's routing out of the Sea Org. He's leaving the Sea Org. So he comes home, and he was so strange. He was just um, not the same. He just seemed so, uh, I can't explain it. He was always cleaning. <laughs> it's like, right. you know, and, I, uh, and he couldn't talk about it. So I picked him up at the airport, and I tried to talk to him. So what happened? And he goes, I can't talk about it. Let's just change the subject, Mom. I just want to talk about, you know, right now I'm home, okay? So he kept, like, avoiding it. Well, that summer... And this is why I resigned from Scientology. This is like the straw that broke the camel's back, right? So that summer after he left, we, it was July 4th, and my mom and him were, um, we were camping. And I was in the water with my daughter. We were rafting, and, and uh, my mom brought us to see her because she was curious. Because he just seemed different. Um, and she just said, Jeremy, you know, want to talk about the sea arts? He goes, he calls her Nani for Grandma. He says, Nani, I can't talk about that. Don't you understand? If I talk about that, I'm going to owe Scientology $3 million. My mom thought, what? What are you talking about? I signed a, a, a contract that if I speak out what I saw or what happened in Scientology when I was in the Sea Org, I have to pay them $3 million, and I won't be able to do my Scientology. My mom was just like, she couldn't think with it. We were already unhappy, both of us, for what happened in my hospital phase and with the kids and the recruiting. And then my mom tells me, and I'm like, I am done. <laughs> the, the, now, not only did they, my son had no schooling in the Sea Org, um, he, he threatened with a $3 million gag contract to not discuss what he saw or what he heard. He's being blackmailed. I, I, yeah, he's being blackmailed. And, and I couldn't do it anymore, Chris. I was upset with the first round with Jessica when she just went on staff and they put me in that crazy counseling. That's when it started. But, I mean, it just got worse and worse and worse. And it's all about my kids. And as a mom, I'm just like, I think if things happened to me, it would be different than when it's your kids. Right. It's like, I, I just said, I... I, I I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I am so done. So we prepared. My mom and I prepared because we were going to talk to the kids and, you know, try to do it in a way where we resigned in good standing. We just didn't want to do it. And we're going to tell them that it's fine that they do Scientology. So we bring them in. It was August 30th. I just put my resignation letter into Scientology. I just wrote a simple letter stating that I, Lori Hodgson, do not want to be a part of the Church of Scientology anymore. I am resigning as of this day, August 30th, 2010. 
I, I send it into the mission where I'm on, uh, and I send it in to Flag, where, you know, the, in Florida. Right. And so, I brought my kids in, my mom and I, we were at my office, it was in the evening, and we told the kids. And my son said, I understand. Like, he could, he could understand because I told them the reasons why I resigned. I named everything I just told you, Chris, everything, the hospital, and I just said, I can't do this anymore. And my son, basically, he, he understood. My daughter was just terrified. She goes, but Mom, if you leave Scientology, then I'm going to have to disconnect from Dad. I'm going to have to disconnect from my dad. I go, what are you talking about? I'm not saying you have to disconnect from anybody. I just don't want to do Scientology. You guys can do it. I'm not saying you can't, because I knew better. <laughs> Right. And I go, and, and she, she's all, I'll never disconnect from you, so I'm going to have to disconnect from Dad. I go, no, you're not. I, I go, just wait till you talk to your dad about this. Let's just all work out a plan and wait a week. And let's just absorb, okay? Well, they didn't. They told their dad, and it was um, Labor Day weekend. And uh, my one of my best friends, she was a Scientologist and her friends of Jim's, my ex-husband, and she told me that they went to Jeremy's uh, hockey game. He played hockey, and they were sitting in the bleachers, and Jim told Mari, he said, I told my kids that if they don't disconnect from their mom, I'm going to disconnect from them because no one's taking my eternity away from me. Wow. So I haven't spoken out. I haven't done anything except resign. And my ex-husband is telling my kids they have to disconnect from me. It's one week after I resigned. I did not speak out. And I slowly saw the kids breaking away from me. Um, you know, they just didn't want to hang around me anymore. They didn't want to do much with me at all. And my son was living with me, but he was acting strange, and he was taking classes. And uh, I knew they were disconnecting and that's when I went and reached out to Marty Raspin. Okay, let's come back to that. Uh, I just want to ask you, Lori, uh, was it necessary? Like, like your ex-husband did not have to make that proclamation. Like, he, he could have been fine, but he chose to make your children choose uh, between you and him in the name of Scientology. Yeah. And he probably chose with the uh, pressure from Scientology. They're saying you were the PTS in his life. You were the... Yes, and his friends were John Allinger, which he plays a big part in my story. Yes. Uh, and uh, and Rick Melrose, who plays a big part of my story. These are big uh, players in Scientology. Um, not big players, but like, you know, a very uh, high-ranking Scientologist. Like, John Allinger's an OT8, which is the highest level, and that was my ex's good friend. So I'm sure Jim also had pressure from 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 John and from Mark Warlick. He's the DSA, uh, where my kids were taking classes. It stands for Director of Special Affairs. They handle all the legal problems in Scientology. And I think they freaked out so much because of what my son knew when they threatened him with the $3 million SCAD contract. And that's why... Basically, they had to handle me. They had to get me back in, and I think they they thought if uh, the kids disconnected from me, then that would get me to come back. 
you know, that's what their plan was, because they did not want my kids to ever leave and tell me what Jeremy knew. That's what I'm guessing. Okay. But I, I, I could see it, and I just was uh, devastated because I was losing my kids. But I knew I couldn't go back to Scientology. I never wanted to hold those hands again. I never wanted to have another auditing slash counseling session again. I was through, I went through too many security checks. Right. I mean, um, I, I couldn't do it. I could not go back to Scientology. I was done. So I didn't speak out at all. I, it was like now, uh, so I left August 30th. Now it's December, like, 10th, same year. And I go see Marty and I told no one. I didn't, my kid, my son was living with me. So no one knew. I just said I was going to go, um, I can't remember what I said. Uh, but no one knew. Um, I went uh, and met Marty. Um, and we we did some counseling because I felt safe with him. He wasn't going to sit there and do security checking with me. Why, you know, I left. He just wanted to help me with what happened in the hospital and uh, what happened with my kids and try to give me, I wanted some advice of what to do to get my kids back. All right, I want to frame this correctly for you here. Um, if I'm not mistaken, you, you were being harassed prior to the visit to Marty Rathbun by uh, these guys, were you not? No, the only way I was being harassed, yes, yes, let me back up. They would go into our office, um, a couple people, a couple Scientologists would go into my office and try to handle my mom to get us to go back to Scientology. Like heavy handling, sending friends in. Um, they just couldn't believe we resigned. It's just, you don't do that. You don't resign from Scientology. Well, I think we're the first one, of, one of the first ones that ever did in San Jose area. So, yes, the, the, we did get handled, you know, we did get um, harassed in that way. They'd come into our office. My kids were not, you know, wanting to be around me. But um, the harassment really started when I got home from Marty's. Okay, I got you. So, okay, so I jumped, so, I'm going to jump so, back a little bit. Go ahead. So I haven't spoken out yet. And we're just, my mom and I are saying we just don't want to do Scientology. They kept trying to handle us. I handled my mom because they knew if they handled her, then she could handle me. Stay in Scientology, but it didn't work. We were done. Uh, we're not speaking out. Everything's good. I go see Marty and... His advice was just keep trying to see your kids and don't go into Scientology because they'll try to handle you and you don't want to do it and you'll get manipulated. Don't go in there. Just go see your kids. Keep trying to see your kids. So I would try to see my kids. I would go give them Christmas presents or whatever. Just nothing worked. I could not see them. I couldn't call, you know. Um, and they, they didn't really want to talk to me. So... Um, or they did, but they were distant. And I came back from Marty's. This is when it started. And I'm at work my, the next day um, after I got back from Marty's. And I'm at work in San Jose at my office. We get a phone call in the morning. It's a lady's voice. And, it, and she just was anonymous and said, um, what's your business hours? And we said, well, we get off at 4. And my mom said, well, who was it? I go, I don't know. They just want to know our business hours. We thought that was odd. So I get ready to leave, and, you know, I, don't, I can't um, run because I have a knee replacement that, you know, it's fixed now, but it's still kind of messed up. And so I, um, you know, I slowly walk out to my office. I, I mean, out to the car. And 
I see this person approaching me quickly, and I recognize him as John Ellender. And um, but he looked angry, and he he says to me, uh, "Do you enjoy beating?" Wow. And I was terrified. I was like, "What the hell?" What? Did you know who he was? I mean, I was like kind of in shock, and he's like, "You know, I knew where you were." You, you know, and he said, oh, you were in Texas. I go, oh, so you're tracking my flight? I mean, they, they knew where, where I went and everything. And then they, he asked me if I enjoyed beating. So I got terrified, and I tried to run into my office, and my mom was just a client with a client, and, you know, I, I was just terrified. I mean, just, so basically I, I uh, filed a police report on that. Did you know who this that. man was? Yeah, John Ellender and I go way back. Oh, okay. I mean, wow, when, okay. When I, was six, when I was 16, he was my course supervisor, and I didn't like him. I felt intimidated by him. Oh, wow, okay. And then then when I wanted to divorce, wanted to divorce Jim, my, um, the kid's father, he, he, he brought me in because he was the mission holder at that time where I took classes. My kids were at Los Gatos. I was at San Jose Mission, and John was the mission holder. And he called me and he said, um, so you have to go to Florida and do this counseling with, it's called the TV co-audit. You have to do this counseling with Jim. I go, I don't have the money. I'm done. I don't want to do this counseling. I don't want to be married. He said, you have to go. You can't say no to me. So <laughs> I, oh, wow. And I did. I did not go. I mean, I didn't want to be married to the guy anymore. I didn't want to do the counseling. I think I finally, they pressured me and pressured me. I had to do the counseling there because I wouldn't go to Florida. They have a way of pressuring you. Yeah. And so I would just try to fight it as far as I could. But I didn't like the guy. Never did. We were not buddies. And when he threatened me, uh, I was terrified because I'm like, where is this coming from, the beatings? Is he going to beat me? I mean, I didn't understand what he was saying. Do you enjoy beating? You know what I mean? Are you a bowel? You don't know, right? I don't know. I mean, my heart was racing. I was just, like, terrified. So, um... So then what happened, I, the FBI contacted me during this time from December, I think it was January, the FBI contacted me regarding Jeremy and the $3 million gag contract and um, his time in the Sea Org. So I start sharing everything with the FBI, and they wanted to come down and interview my son and hear it from him. I said, sure, he works. I know exactly where he works with his dad. I go by there and I see him because I'm disconnected from him, but or he's disconnecting from me, he's starting to, and I'm like, um, I just want to warn you, when you come down, Scientology tracks my flights for anyone that tries to get close to my kids. And she said, don't worry. It's like, we're the FBI. They're not going to find out. Well, she comes down to interview my son, and she comes to my office in the afternoon, and she said, your son wasn't there. I said, I told you. I go to have a way of finding out. I found out my son was at a motorcycle park with no cell reception. So I'm sure Jim didn't tell him what was going on. Wow. He gave him the day off, and, you know. They tracked the FBI. Yeah. And, I, I, and this is weird with my case, because I tell people, if you're going to try to help me, they're going to arrest you, or they're going to, you know, they track all my flights if I try to go near my kids. But even with, so she came and interviewed me, and she had a picture of Jim, and, um, you know, she just said, you need to stay clear with him. She warned me, don't go near him. 
And I said, okay. And um, so anytime I got harassed, I reported to her. And I went to go see Marty again because um, the kids officially disconnected from me on my dad's birthday that February um, 5th, 2011. A couple of months after I went to Marty's the first time, they, uh, we all went to a birthday party and they said, we're only here for, um, for Grandpa, not you. Hmm. And so I, I was just beyond crushed. I, I just could not believe this was happening. Um, and I did seek out. I shared on Marty Rathman's blog about what happened with John Allender threatening me and why I resigned because I thought that was wrong. You don't threaten someone. Why don't they just call? Why don't we just talk like normal people? Right. And work this out. Why do you have to harass, follow people, stalk people, threaten people? Let's just, you know, I was like beyond. I couldn't believe it. It gets a lot worse. So I go see Marty the second time. It was April uh, of 2010. And I arrive on Saturday night. And we're going to do some counseling about what happened with John in the, in the parking lot because I was just really um, devastated about it all. Um, but before I went to Marty's, I told my FBI agent that I was going to see Marty. And she was really angry at me. She said she was not mad that I was going to see him, but I shared everything with him about the FBI. She said, I did not want you to share this. Remember I told you? You can't share what's going on. We're working on this thing with your son and what happened in the Sea Org. And, and, and I said, he's my counselor. I have to. She was not happy with me. She said, okay. Um, but I, I just want you to report anything you see to the police and call me. I said, okay. So I go see Marty. We arrive on Saturday night. And we're taking a walk with um, his wife and the dog. And Mosey and I, her name is Mosey. I think it's Monique that I called her Mosey, and, and we sensed that someone was following us, and we told Marty. And he said, there's nobody following you. You're nobody big. You're just this, you know. I've had people really big here, like Karen D. Carey, I think, you know, people that are way high up in the field. You're just, you know, a mom from San Jose. And I'm like, okay. But after being threatened with John in the parking lot, I was a little scared, you know. Well, not nobody gets threatened in the parking lot, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, and he didn't understand why that happened. So, um, it was Sunday night, he decides to go get his video camera out of the car, because he he just sensed that he needed it, and he put it by the front door, which I thought was odd, mm -hmm. and I'm all, okay, because we're going to go in session on Monday morning, we're going to do counseling to go over what happened with John in the parking lot, and my upset was... Scientology and what they did with my kids. That was the whole purpose of why I wanted to go and, and counseling. To relieve some of the, the stress I had. And I trusted Marty. So um, Monday morning, we're getting ready to go into session. And I stayed downstairs at their house. And um, he was upstairs. And he, he came down. I was having breakfast. He said, so listen, the plumber's going to come today. And he makes a really loud noise. I just don't want you to be startled. I'm like, okay, you know. So we go in session. It's the morning time, and we break for lunch. And I go downstairs, and I hear this obnoxious um, 
slamming on the door. And I was like, God, that plumber's really, <laughs> you know, he, Marty was right. And I right. turn around and I look up and I see these guys in blue shirts. And um, Marty yells at me and says, stay there. And so I'm like, what the heck is going on? Well, after they left, I saw them walk away and I noticed it was John Ellender. And I, I called Valerie. I called my agent, Valerie, the FBI agent, and I said, John Allender's here. And she said, you know what to do. I told you, I can't help you. I'm in Los Angeles. You need to call the police and get a police report right now. So then Marty talked to her, and she, he, you know, she insisted, I get the police report. These people followed me from state, across state lines and harassed me. Now, this is the squirrel busters. The squirrel busters, yes. I didn't know that at the time, but now I'm figuring it out. Oh my, and so uh, by the name on their shirt. And um, so I went, Marty said, lock your doors and stay inside. And I wanted to go out there because the police officers showed up and tell them what happened. Marty said, I'll do it. And I said, okay. And um, basically I was asking him, this is before the police showed up, if he wants me to call the police. He said he would. So the police show up. I didn't get to go outside because Marty was worried about me. And I just saw what was going on from inside the bottom level. And I was observing it all, and then Marty and I talked, and he just, after they left, he said, what is it that you know, that you don't think you know, that they know you know? I, well, I'm all, what? He goes, it has to be with this $3 million gag contract your son was made to sign. What is it? Do you, you have to know. What is it? I go, I don't know, Marty. I, if I knew, I'd tell you. But he goes, I've never had this harassment before, ever. And, you know, now you had the threatening with John in the parking lot, and now he's here uh, with the squirrel busters um, harassing you, following you across state lines. Like, it didn't make sense to Marty. It didn't make sense to me. And when we got the police report, it wasn't even my police report. It was about Marty taking John Ellender's microphone, stealing the property. So I had to call Valerie again, and I said, Valerie, I don't have a police report. It's on Marty. She said, I need it on you. They, they followed you across state lines. Get the police report. So we called the police for a couple of days, and the DA comes over to the house, the district attorney of Corpus Christi, is where Marty was located. And he apologizes to me and says, I'm sorry you don't have your police report, and I'm sorry this happened in our town. I want to apologize, and we're going to get you the police report. I call it Valerie. I don't have the police report. Because I need the police report. I'm just like, oh, my God. Now, I do have a police report that has my name and John Allender, that he's from San Jose, I'm from San Jose, but guess who the other school buster person is? It's Mark Warlick. He's from San Jose, and he's the director of special affairs who handles all the legal stuff in the church. And he was at the bottom of the stairs. So both of these people followed me across state lines. And did not want me to see Marty. So, so I know the Squirrel Busters yeah. harassed Marty for a while, but it started with actually following you. It was, I was the first one. Wow, okay. And, 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 and Mark, see, Mark is the one who I kept saying my parental rights are being violated when he was recruiting my son. See, I, I did everything right. I handled it all internally. I didn't go outside the courts until, I mean, I didn't go to the courts for help until after my kids disconnected from me. So, so what I was resigned from Scientology, but 
they, they don't let you handle it internally. I kept saying, I don't, my son's not allowed to be on the Sea Org. He has to wait until he's 18. Nothing worked. I tried everything to get them to let my kids stay in school. It doesn't work. They wear you down. So Mark Warlick was there. I think they're both worried about my son and what he knows about the $3 million gas contract. There's a lot, uh, lot to process here. <laughs> the, um... Yeah, and Marty kept asking me, what is it? I go, wish I knew. I mean, I can speculate, you know, but I don't really know. You said, I know you and don't I, want I, to. What? I know you don't want to make accusations blindly, um, because you talked about this, but uh, they came up at Squirrel Busters with a picture of Marty's face on their shirt. Um, when right. I talked to Bert Leahy, it was about following this Marty Rathbun guy around, and he didn't know why. Right. But you think that was a distraction from what the real reason they were there for, which was to find out what you know if Jeremy talked to you. Is that, part, I, is that what you think? No, I, I think that I brought them, and the two people were part of my whole situation with my kids, Mark Warlick and, and John Allender, right? But the school busters changed over time. John Allender wasn't always there. There were different school busters, remember? It wasn't... Mark Warlick only came, I think, one time. That day. And okay. he was part of this, that day. John Allender came several. And that's the day that's on video hey, people can find on YouTube that's at, that when uh, Marty answers the door. Yeah, and he's at... And John Allender is insisting that he sees my folder. He's talking about my folder. Okay. And that he's, um, and so I, I, it could be coincidental, Chris. Maybe they picked me as the first person, but why would they have Mark Warlick and John there, the ones from San Jose? That's why my that FBI agent was so furious we didn't get the police report. Well, they may have figured two birds with one stone. Here's this guy, Marty, being a squirrel. We can go after both of them. Yeah. That's what I think. I don't, you know, I don't think, I, I don't know. But, I, I just, uh, but without asking your opinion, I'm going to say this whole thing looks really odd, and I don't mean to make this a, a conspiracy or Marty thing, but this all seems very weird, the whole way it all played out. He set up a camera blindly. He told you to be a knock at the door. I think you told me uh, off air that there was no plumber. Um, no, I never put, no. It's, no. Almost, it's almost like either he was being harassed and pressured to find out what you know from Jeremy, in my mind, that you know from Jeremy, or he figured he had to do what he can do to get that answer, so he'd leave him alone or something to that effect. But I feel like there's more to the story than, than, even, than even you're able to say, because we just don't know. But it's very strange. There is, and yes, it is, and it got weirder. Okay, so... Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's, why I, that's why I'm writing a book. <laughs> it's like, it's so... Many parts. Okay, so now a couple of days go by, and um, Mosey and I just sensed again that there were people around, and we caught a guy across the canal. He lived on a canal um, that was holding the camera and filming us in the morning when we were having coffee. And so we filmed them back, and we reported it to the police. And so then Marty and I, when I would go ride my bike, he would follow me in the truck because I, I had to ride a bike because my knee would hurt. And he would follow me because he didn't, you know, at that point we knew they were still around, the Spellbusters, because they showed up one more time. And then we went out in the boat. We took the dog, and it's a rowboat, and Marty and I, I was in the front with his dog, and Marty was in the back. And I told him, um, 
seems like I see someone way over there with a blue shirt on out in another boat. And, and Marty's like, no, I don't think so. I think they've left stuff, but don't worry. Right, is just like so on, on edge all the time. And little do I know, when I got back to San Jose, there was an article, a picture of me in the boat with Marty. And I can send you that, Chris. I have it. And I sent that to the FBI. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, please do. The, they took a picture of me in the boat with Marty. And they put online things from my folder that were in confidence. And my most private thing, like, uh, that I would not let anyone to know about. Now, this they, pisses they me off. It. This pisses me off because they will use that against you. But if the courts come to them and say, we need this document because we know it says something about something happened to someone being abused or, or mistreated, and they'll say, oh, no, that's confidential. Yeah. But the things they said were, it, it, was, it was worse than what, I, what actually happened, you know. Oh, wow. Um, and, and then the commenters, we you need know, to tell were, were uh, Scientologists, and they were saying that I was having sex with many men when I was there with Marty, and they talked about my breast implants, and now the whole world knows, so I might as well tell them <laughs> because that. But, but I'm like, uh, you know, at that time, I didn't want anybody to know. It was very private, and I was, I was born with a little bit of a smaller leg, and so it always bothered me in Scientology, and I'd have counseling on it, but I never felt better about it. And they, they made fun of my smaller leg. They did whatever they could to get me to break down. Yeah. You know? and, and so I turned that into my file with the FBI, which is getting bigger and bigger now. And so, um, you know, I had evidence of that. And then, um, so that happened with Marty. Then I, um, you know, I, I still got harassed because I would try to go see my kids. And they would, um, you know, they would... Uh, know when I flew there, they would know exactly when I arrived, where I stayed. PIs followed me and caught black cars, um, Scientology PIs, I mean. Are, are you declared uh, at this point? Have you have you been unofficially or officially declared? I've heard I'm declared. I've never seen my declare. Okay. Yeah. So I think the first time I shared what happened with John Allen to the parking lot is probably when they declared me. Yeah, how dare you tell about someone threatening you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. I, and, like, I would have never spoke out if they wouldn't have taken my kids away. Right, so it always comes back to that, doesn't it? I mean, you're not trying to take down, a, well, I, I say quote-unquote religion, but, you know, you're, you're just want your kids. That's right. So then Jim moved the kids away because I kept trying to see them. And um, Scientology, you know, they always had people following me. So um, Jim moved them to Texas, to Austin. And I waited a year. I was just really not doing well, and I missed my kids so much. So I went uh, on Mother's Day to go try to talk to my son at his motorcycle shop. I went three times to Texas over the last uh, four years since they've been living there. And the first time I went in the motorcycle shop, and I've seen my son in a long time, and he was happy to see me, and he hugged me, and we talked, and it went pretty good. And then my mom gave us some time alone, and he said, you know what you need to do, Mom. And I go, Jeremy, I just want to be your mom. Let's just go to dinner and work this out. He says, you know what you need to do. You need to do the Scientology steps, A to E. I go, Jeremy, I can't do that. But let's work out another plan. 
Let's meet with your dad so we can be a family again. We said, I want that, Mom. The dad won't do that, and, and you have to do the steps. You know how to fix this. And I go, here's my number. I'm going to be here in the evening. I told him where to meet me, and he never showed up. So I, I gave him a couple days, and I told him to meet me on Mother's Day at a restaurant, and he didn't. I didn't pressure him. I just wanted to talk. I'd never pressured my kids. Right. Ever. And I think I was too easy on him, maybe. Maybe I should have been more aggressive, but just tried to handle it. I have unconditional love for them. I'm not mad at them. I don't blame them one bit. And uh, I shared the story with Tony Ortega because, you know, I gave them a chance. But I think speaking out helps. I can't communicate with my kids. You know, my son wouldn't talk to me after that first time. I'm sure he was brought in and told that he can't be near me. He can't talk to me anymore. So I stayed a week, then I went back again to talk to them with Inside Edition. That's the first time I was on national television. And I told them that they, they tracked my flight. And so they were able to get me there without Scientology knowing. And um, I did an interview with them that morning, and we went and saw my son, and we had to do it legally with with the attorneys for Inside Edition and the attorneys for Scientology, they knew what we could do and what we couldn't do. So I had to meet him when he came out for a break in the parking lot. I couldn't go inside his work. And he saw the cameras, and um, he got really upset. And, he, you know, he saw me. And then um, I said, and I, I just said, you know, back off with the cameras, right? And I put my hand, like, because I wanted to talk to my son. And he hugged me, and I just said, Johnny, please listen to me. I need to talk to you. And so I was more aggressive this time. I said, look what Scientology put on the Internet about your mom. And he read it. He was shocked. And I go, please, just let's talk. So we talked for three hours. And he opened up that, you know, he did sign the $3 million gag contract. And he looked at me, and he goes, Mom, what's the big deal? Everyone signs that. I go, actually not, Jeremy. I know a lot of people out that are ex-Scientologists that have never signed $3 million. In fact, you're the only one I know of. And he looked at me. Because, see, they told him everybody signs it. Makes it like a bit, no big deal. Yeah, and I've I heard that. Yeah. And he goes, I know it's not legal, Mom. <laughs> he knows it's not legal. What? Um, yeah, he knows it's not legal. Now he's what? Uh, told he's older. He's 20. Or 21, and he goes, uh, so it, he tried to brush it away like it wasn't a big deal. I go, it's a big deal to me. <laughs> right. It's a big deal to me. And um, just not being able to have you in my life is a bigger deal. I just want to be your mom. Let's work this out. Let's meet with your dad tonight. Let's meet with Scientology. I'll go in there. Let's just discuss this. And so we were making progress. He's like, the dad won't do it. And and you have to do the steps. And I, I, he explained why I couldn't. Do you understand why I can't do the steps, Jeremy? He goes, I understand, Mom. He, it, everything was going great. Because I, I was more, like, hitting the points, like, why I resigned. And he agreed with me. And I go, do you blame me? Why I can't go back in and do those steps and say I've lied about everything I'm telling the truth about? I, I, I go, let's work out something else. There's got to be another way. So everything was going good, and he saw my wire. I guess, under my shirt. And the only reason I had that, Chris, is for my protection. Because, as you see in the past, I get really harassed by Scientology. And um, the attorneys made me wear their wire so that for my protection if they showed up. 
Wow. And they were probably going to show up because Jim was, Jeremy was going to call his dad and say I was there and that I wanted to meet with him. So he got mad with me about the wire. One of the one of the whole um, tape and um, inside edition producer came out and said, "No, that's our property. We're not going to air this, Jeremy. This is for your mom's protection." Well, then Jeremy called his father, and his father threw all these things at him. And then Jeremy was angry with me and said, "You really are NSP. I can't believe you would do this." And and how could you tape me? I told him why. It, it was it went awful. So in his mind, you vindicated everything that was ever said about you. Yes. Yeah. Because I had the wire on, he wouldn't believe me that it was for my protection. He said, why? Because of the Squirrelbuster guy's mom? Oh, he even knew about that. And mother, he knew about the Squirrelbuster guys, yeah. Because my parents, my real father and stepmom had like an intervention with the kids after they disconnected from me and tried to get them to watch the Squirrelbusters. But they, they, they couldn't and they started crying and they left. It was, I think it was Easter. Oh, wow. Uh, 2011. Yeah, they tried to do an intervention and my kids were crying. And knew they couldn't watch it. They wouldn't even watch it. They're not allowed to. So Jeremy said, I don't see why you had to wear that, Mom. And I go, it, it wasn't my choice. Uh, I'm, you know, and um, so that went bad. So then I went back to Texas again a year later on Mother's Day without anybody knowing, no media, no one. And I went into his work, and um, I was trying to talk to Jeremy, and he ran from me. I don't know, maybe he thought I had people with cameras. Right. <laughs> and I just said, no, Jeremy, I'm here with your grandma, and we, we just want to be here in your life. We don't want to tell anybody. Let's just secretly be together so you don't get in trouble. I just want to be your mom. And he's like, well, you know we can't do that, and you know how to fix this. And he's just insisted on the A to E steps. And I left. I was just, I just broke down in the car with my mom, and... He said, call Tony Ortega. He'll make you feel better. And um, he really did. And he said, I'm not going to air this story. This is too painful. Let's just, you know, he talked to me, made me feel better. And I decided to go see my daughter on Mother's Day at her house because she uh, runs a preschool at her home. And I went there with flowers and a nice letter, and I knocked on the door. And her fiancé at that time came downstairs and and I said, I'm Lori, I'm just his mom. He said, I know who you are. He was real nice. And I go, I just want to see my daughter. Please, can I talk to my daughter? And my mom was with me. And he said, I can't let you do that. And see, I wasn't aggressive. I, I was just, uh, I just said, okay, well, I wrote her a letter. I'm staying here. Here's my number. Please have her come and see me so we can work this out. I'm begging her. I just want to be their mom. And he said, I'll give it a letter, and I waited, and that's the last time I went to Texas. That was about three years ago. Okay. So it's just, uh, then 2020 approached me and wanted me to be a part of that panel with um, Ron Miscavige. It aired on 2020 in April of 2016. And I was invited down to speak out about the disconnection with my kids. And there were about eight, eight other ex-Scientologists. Um, and they chose my story to put a clip on about disconnection. But I didn't know this. When I was watching it, I getting ready to watch it that evening, my friend Cindy in Colorado was an hour ahead of me. And she called me up and she said, Lori, your kids are on television. 
your kids were on the show. I didn't even know it. 2020 never even told me. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, so I watched them, and when I saw them, I just, I basically just went into shock. I just couldn't believe. They didn't look right. They looked like they were really stressed and that they were being made to say those things. And and um, my daughter said that I had a vendetta about Scientology more than being her mom, and that's not true. My big vendetta with Scientology is he took my kids. It's like I would have never spoken out if he would have taken my kids from me, just let me be their mom. None of this would have happened. And so... Um, I, I, at that point, after I saw the kids, I couldn't speak out anymore. It's been a year and a half. You're the first show I've done since that interview. And I just shut down. I was so depressed. I just, uh, I went to work at a grocery store at Safeway here just to get my mind off the kids. And um, I wasn't going to speak out anymore. I was going to try being quiet. Well, maybe that would help. Right. Since I was so outspoken, I tried, I tried everything, Chris. I tried working, going down there with my kids. Nothing worked. So I thought, well, I'm pretty broken down. I can't speak out. It was August of just a couple months ago. I decided to um, reach out to the IJC. You tried to do it the right way, Scientology's way. I did. I wasn't going to do the steps, but I was going to approach a, a different idea. So the IJC is called the International Justice Chief. They're like the highest ethics officer in the world. They're the ones you go to if you're declared a suppressive person, any legal matters with the church. It's like that. Uh, Jeremy and my, and my daughter and my son, Jessica and Jeremy, both told me, your only person you can talk to is the IJC. And I never reached out to them because I thought if I reached out to them, I was, I was going to have to do the steps. Right. Well, I decided to write. I got the number, and I called all the time. Um, I called, I think it was late July. Let me see, I have a note. I called the IJC on, it was August, August 13th. And then I called every day. I got through to the receptionist, and I even told her my story. And she, she was like, well, are you declared a suppressive? I go, I don't know. I've been told that, but nobody's ever called me in and gone over it with me. She goes, I'll, I'll give him the message. His name's Mike Ellis. He's the IJC, person who represents the IJC. Well, I called and called. I was begging her. She said, he's not going to return your calls. He's not allowed to return your calls. And he, and he, no, he doesn't ever return calls, and um, he doesn't even get the messages. So the best thing is put in in writing. I go email or written letter. She said, do both. So I put it in writing, mailed a letter, and this is what I wrote. Do you want me to read it to you? Sure. I put two IGC Mike Ellis. My name is Lori Hodgson and I am the mother of Jeremy Leach and Jessica Davitt. I have been disconnected from my two children for seven years. I'm reaching out to you because I was told you are my only person I can talk to in the church. I want to make an agreement that is good for my children and I so we can be a family again. I can do good roads, good weather with my children. I am fine that they do their Scientology religion. I just want to be their mom. Thank you, Lori Hodgson. So I called again, and I said, did you get my email? And she said, um, yes, the receptionist got it, and they will be writing you a letter back. 
And I say, okay, good. So I got the letters. I wrote my letter August 15th. I got, and my, my mom sent Jessica a message and said, your mom's working with the IJC, trying to work out an agreement that will bring our family back together. And the, it, the text message went through. I guess Jessica didn't block her or unblock her. So we were shocked. We were like, oh, my God, I was having a little bit of hope. Right. That they would do the good roads, good weather. Because that's what they let me do with my dad. So why shouldn't they let me do that with my kids? But see, I've spoken out publicly. That's the difference. So they write me back. Dear Lori, they even spelled my name wrong. Oh, boy. Um, thank you for your letter, 15 August 2017. If you want to get in good standing with the church, you can do the A to E steps. Let me know if you need assistance. So they didn't even acknowledge anything about the good roads, good weather, anything about my disconnection, anything about I just want to be their mom. I did not say I want to get back in good standing. But they clearly said I need to do the steps A to E. So basically it's like blackmail. I can only have my kids if I do these steps. That's emotional blackmail. And and here's the thing is you don't want to. They're trying to make you do something you you don't want to do. but, But there's no... In life, there's no requirement to having family. You just have family. Yeah, and I'm already agreeing to do the good roads, good weather. Which means I'll respect Jessica and Jeremy doing Scientology. Right. The only reason I'm seeking out is because of the disconnection. And I'm sharing why I left. Because of what they did with my own children. And how they're not for education. And they want to take them from the parents. That is wrong. It's wrong what they do with kids. And I was willing to just let all that go and let me have my kids. I don't need to keep talking about this. But they will not budge. And so, if my kids ever listen to this, Jeremy and Jessica, if you ever hear me with this video, I mean, with this interview with Chris, why I can't do the steps A to E is to do the steps, I would have to say I have lied about everything that I am telling the truth about. Also, I would have to pay thousands of dollars to do to do counseling to get my head to feel like I am lying about everything and do thousands of hours of amends because which means I'd have to do work for Scientology and then get their approval to come back to be in good standing with an organization that broke up my family. I think they got it wrong. Catch they need to do a big apology to me and give me my kids back. It's like, for the love of my children, I can't do these crazy ADE steps. I, 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 but I'm willing to do good roads, good weather. And I, so I, anyway, I wrote them another letter back. And I said, I am continuing on with my baptized Lutheran religion. I will honor my daughter Jessica and my son Jeremy's Scientology religion and would like the same respect back for my Lutheran religion. I can do, I said it again, I can do good roads, good weather, so that we can be a family again. Please let me know. That was dated September 7th of this year. I gave them a couple months to get back to me. I call, I emailed, please respond to my letter, emailed, you know, and I wrote my daughter and my son a postcard because I knew they'd read it because it's a postcard. And I said, I don't have that postcard, but I basically said, the IGC will not get back to me anymore. So I have no way to work this out except for with you. So can you please call your mom? Please. And we can 
work this out and be a family. I miss you terribly and love you so very much. Love your mom always. And I um, wrote that postcard beginning in November. And I haven't heard back. I still was broken down. I think you've asked me to speak out on your show several times when I said no. I just couldn't do it. I didn't have the strength. And uh, my mom just had a knee replacement a couple weeks ago, end of November. And I was in the hospital waiting for her. And this is when it all changed. Um, I was thinking about the times I was in the hospital and how cool Scientology was by sending my kids, my daughter in to say goodbye to me and join the Sears. And all the things that happened. And putting my kids on television with those videos and they looked so distressed and so unhappy and how it broke me down and I just got the strength back waiting for my mom. And I'm just like, it all changed. I was just like, I need to fight back because being quiet didn't get me any closer to my kids. Even working with the IJC and their internal justice system didn't work. Flying to Texas doesn't work because they have PIs and they tell my kids not to see me. I have tried, I think, everything. I've tried a lot this last seven years to be with my kids. And I'm like, I'm not going to be quiet anymore. I have a story. I'm going to share it. I'm going to finish my book. I'm going to do this and work on it full time. I quit my job at the grocery store. Um, right before I quit, I got a letter from an editor that wants to do my book. Good. And, um, and I'm going for it. I, uh, I'm not going to be quiet. My book's going to get out there. I'm going to go. I'm going to let everyone, because I want my kids back first. That's the most important thing. And for some reason, that doesn't happen. I, I, I pray it does. But if it doesn't, at least I can educate another person. What happens if they join Scientology and they have children and they don't agree with what they want to do with their kids? I want to warn them this will happen. Because you can't fight internally. You can't handle it with the church. And if you don't agree with what they want to do with your children and take them from you and, and have them go in the Sea Org on staff and you disagree and you're not going along with Scientology's rules, you will lose your kids. And so I hope my story helps. I hope it makes people strong. I hope that, you know, people don't get involved in Scientology unless they change this. They, they need to stop this connection. They, they need to... Stop recruiting young children, because it's wrong. And I'm going to do whatever I can to fight and, and, and share my story so that no other parent has to go through what I'm going through. This is incredible. And, and um, I know, and, and I want to point out, I, I, I hope people realize I didn't hound you. We, we talked a lot about you coming on the show. <laughs> you said I asked you several times. but. Um, no, no, you, you asked me several times, but I, I, I mentioned it, I think, first, because I thought I could do it. Right. And then every time, close to when we would do your show, I I just couldn't do it. I'd break down thinking about talking about it. I know. But I think you can hear it in my voice. I'm stronger than I've ever been now. Absolutely. Like, I, think, I think since I gave it this chance to work with IJC internally again, how many times have I worked with Scientology? Right. But they won't work with and you. I think it's one chance, one more chance. And they just won't bed. They won't do it. It's simple. They could have handled this easily. They could have wrote me back, yeah, you can have your kids and just, you know, use good words, good weather. I could do that. But see, they're afraid that my kids would come back to me. 
and that that's okay if they come back to me, but that they would not want to be in Scientology. And I think they're afraid with what Jeremy knows, that $3 million. Yeah, I've never heard of that before, and I can't find anyone else who's heard of that besides your son. Um, yeah. And I want to point out, like, I, I know how hard this has been for you, so I do appreciate you be making this show. You come, too. Um, but, I mean, I, I, I hope you talk to everybody. Uh, but the, I do. I will. Absolutely, but the uh, the important thing to remember here, the thing to point out in cases is heard by people who need to hear it, uh, by your children possibly, or someone who knows your children, is that you're not nothing you've said in this conversation, nothing you've said in any video I've ever watched with you in it, uh, nothing you've said on any uh, anything you've posted on your website, a mother's heartbreak, um, nothing has in all at all said anything negative, um, accusatory, or uh, does there's anything bad about your children. You you don't hold any of this against your children. And I think it's important because I think they get the uh, they get the impression from what they're being told on the other side that this is just because she doesn't care enough to do AD and that you're just trashing their religion because you don't respect them. And I think that's wrong and right. I think that's incorrect. It is incorrect, and they've also been told I had a mental breakdown and that I, that I was crazy. And I think when my son saw me, he could see I was clear, you know, had a clear head, and I looked fine. And so they're they're probably told so many lies about me. Um, you know that they they are filled with all these lies, and I don't I don't really know how they deeply feel. I know they love me. They're not sending me letters that they hate me. They never want to see me again. They can't stand me. Maybe that'll be next. I mean, hopefully not, but I have to be prepared for them to put them on international news again or whatever, and I'm just not going to take it like I did. Because I can, you can clearly watch my kids on that Good Morning America clip. They don't look right. They look like they're reading something. They do not look happy. They, do, they look like they're having to say this stuff that isn't true, but they really didn't say anything bad about me. They basically, Jeremy's mad because I go to the media. Right. I can't talk with him, which is a lie. Because you tried. I try to talk to him yep. all the time. And then Jessica's saying I have a vendetta that's more important, my vendetta with the church, than being a mom with her. Well, we know that's a lie. I, I feel like you if know, you had your children back, we'd never hear from you again. <laughs> You'd just be happy to have your kids back. I would, and I shared my story. You know, I, I've, I've shared it. It's about my kids, and I can't be their mom unless I go back to Scientology and do these crazy steps. You're being forced. You know, I, being I forced to yeah. do something you don't want to do, you have no interest in, it's not in your heart, and you're being forced to do that, or you can't have your family. That is not religious in any way of the definition. That's not something... You know, uh, I said this when I read your letters almost a year ago on the air here. It's, you know, you you have unconditional love for your children. You're not even telling them to go away from the destructive cult they're part of. You're not even calling it a cult. You're respecting their religion, regardless of what you think of it. But all these rules apply to what you have to do to be able to be a family with them. And, you know, you have to look at that and balance that and go, you know, the, a mother's unconditional love versus, hey, if, you know, meet some requirements first. 
there's no requirements when it comes to family. There's no requirements to meet. Not in life. Right. I know. Right. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, I just have to keep fighting. I, I just keep, ha- uh, I gotta keep the strength in me. I have to be prepared for whatever Scientology's gonna do. I'm sure they're gonna harass me and all that again. Now, but, you it, know, this is, and I will report it. I work with, um, you know, I, I have lost, um, the authorities that help me, so I'm prepared. I'm not worried physically. They just try to get to my head. And I need to remain strong. Um, and I, I have to keep sharing my story because being quiet for a year and a half got me no closer to my kids. Well, so many people have that approach. I know, you know, Aaron Smith Levin talks about his wife won't talk out, speak out, or be on camera uh, about Scientology because she's afraid she'll make them right. And the thing is, Scientology doesn't care. And the more quiet you are, the more off the side you are, the happier they are that you're not, you know, visible. So it's not really, all they're going to do is the status quo and keep moving. Nothing's going to change that way. And I think they put the kids on national television for a reason, to shut me up. And you know what, Chris? They won for a year and a half, didn't they? They did. They're not winning anymore. Yeah, they did. They, I really broke down. It was bad. And why did and you stay quiet for a year and a half besides being distraught? You wanted you wanted your children to see that you just wanted them back, not, not trash the church. Yeah. But that didn't work either. That didn't work Nothing either. Worked. Nothing worked. And I'm like, unless I do those steps. Oh. So, I'm going to share my story, and um, I just pray. I get my, I get a call from my kids, and they finally go, this is enough. I, we can't do it anymore. Well, I'm very she's hopeful. Gonna, I'm sure, she, I'm sure she's going to get pregnant soon, and I really want to be around. Grandma. I want yeah. to go see her. I want to go be a part of her life and Jeremy's life, and... That's the most important thing to me, having my kids, and and um, I just I just hope it's soon. I'm very hopeful as well. I just want, in case your in case your kids are listening or any other disconnected family, whether it be a parent, a child, brother, sister, if they're listening and they're thinking about wanting to be part of their family again, but they're they're stuck with this whole thing being held over their head by their eternity, realize there's something wrong there. Realize that if you leave you are leaving one support system that actually uh, isn't that supportive to another system where there's lots of people, some who don't even know you, who will want to help you, and you'll be okay, and you will have support, and you will have your family back. And that's something that I, I hope people consider if they're listening and, you know, think about that and take action. Yes, it's very important, very important. And fight for your family. No organizations to break up your family. Especially one that claims to have the answers to the universe and that wants you uh, telling you they're the only answer. And it's the most ethical religion on the planet. They're, they're breaking up. Yeah. Breaking up family. I was told all that, you know, when I was a teenager. And I was like, how can the most ethical organization on the planet do what they did with my kids? You do everything to and keep people not, together if you're a religion. Do everything to keep yeah. the community a community. Yes. Okay. So I hope this helps, and thank you so much, Chris, for letting me share my story. And um, I didn't think I could do it, but I'm back, and I'm just gonna speak out. 
as many places as I can. Well, Again, you, thanks a lot. Well, you did well. I'm proud of you. And um, uh, what you, I don't know if you, uh, if you know this, uh, you know, at the end of every interview, I do this 10 questions thing. Are you up for 10 questions? Okay, so some of them might be silly, some of them might be a little bit deeper, but uh, if you don't like a question, you can pass. Okay, sounds good. All right, so 10 questions with Lori Hodgson. Number one, it's the Christmas or holiday season, depending on what you do or don't celebrate, but there's usually holiday cookies involved. Do you prefer gingerbread or chocolate chip? Chocolate chip. Chocolate chip. Number two, that's a good choice, by the way. Number two, juice or water? What was that? Juice or water. Juice, okay, good. Number three, true or false? Uh, the Squirrel Busters was the beginning of the end for taking Scientology seriously. True. I think that's true. I think once you see the Squirrel Busters, you go, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> what, what are these guys right. doing? Uh, I know. Number four, you are an outdoorsy person. For somebody with a knee replacement, you sure like to do some uh, so, some cool stuff. Uh, what adventure, what outdoor adventure have you not taken yet? I have not um, skydived. You want to? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe I should have rephrased that question. What, what do you want to do? <laughs> oh, what would I want to do that I haven't done? Um, hmm. Trying to think. Maybe barefoot water ski. You said barefoot water ski? Water ski, yeah, barefoot. Okay, when cool I deal. Girl, I watched these Australians come to Clear Lake and they were barefoot they were barefoot water skiing. That'd be pretty cool. That'd be cool. I don't uh, I'd be scared to fail. You go really fast, like sixty miles an hour with your bare feet. <laughs> I get ner- I get nervous with real skis. Uh, yeah. <laughs> number five, what's your favorite candy or do you eat candy? Oh, Reese's. Reese's, okay. Let's have some of that. Yeah. Uh, number six, can you describe the Sea Org in three words from your observation? Or staff. Let's describe uh, staff in three words. Let's do that. We recruit kids. <laughs> it's the truth. Number seven. Yeah. Number seven, I know you do a lot of outdoor, stu- outdoor stuff, but true or false, indoor activities are best. Yeah, you're way you're way outdoors from everything I've seen. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Number uh, eight. Uh, is there something you haven't done that you probably should do? Uh, publish my book. Oh, okay, I agree. Let's get that done. <laughs> Number nine. What's your favorite alcohol, or do you not drink? I do drink. My favorite alcohol. <laughs> hmm, there's a few. <laughs> I do drink. Let me go through the Rolodex. <laughs> yeah, I would say a good IPA beer. All right. Okay, cool. And uh, number 10, last, I usually do this. You, you kind of put a message out already, but is there anything else you want to say in closing uh, at the end of this interview here? Most important thing is I want my family back. I want my kids back. It's, it's really that simple. It's really that yeah. simple. All right, well, I I'm hope we... do whatever I can to uh, get them back, and I'm going to not give up anymore and keep fighting hard. 
Well, for you and for all the other families that have been broken up by Scientology, I really hope this message gets out to as many people as possible and that it means something to somebody. So I'm going to try to push this uh, this posting hard and get it out there to a lot of people. That's great. And I know that if I get my family back, then this connection will be over with and all the other broken families will be back together again. And so when I say I want my family back, I also want everybody else's broken families back together too. Absolutely. It's it's my Christmas wish for all of you. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much, Chris, and for doing all you do to help uh, us share our stories. It means a lot. Well, I'm I'm just glad that you're willing to speak. It's it's another platform. It's another opportunity to get the voice heard, and like I said, I'm going to try to push it. I do wish you the best of the holiday season, and I do hope things happen uh, sooner than later for you guys. Me too. Merry Christmas, Chris. Merry Christmas. You take care. All right, so that was Lori Hodgson's story. Uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, Scientology hasn't deemed Webster's Dictionary an evil cor- company or an evil resource yet. So I'm going to read to you the definition of bigot. A bigot is a person who is obstinately or intolerantly devoted to his or her own opinions and prejudices. Believe it or not, regardless of the fact that Scientology is calling all those attractors, all the people who criticize Scientology as a religion bigots, the practice of disconnection in many cases such as this one resembles this definition. Your family member, in this case Lori Hodgson, in other cases of other people, the person is not uh, devoted to your opinion. Therefore, they are an SP. They are they are a suppressive person. They don't believe what you believe, so they are wrong. In in definition, SPs almost almost process of calling somebody uh, not okay because they don't agree with you, which makes you bigoted. Now, no one's calling these people bigots, the people who are disconnected from their families. What I'm trying to say is you are being forced. Because a lot of you are told to. You don't always make your own decision, do you, to disconnect from these family members. You're being told you have to because this person's an SP. And to me, if you're going to label someone an SP to a religion or to a group, that's fine. But I would think that would have to be someone who's a very negative, horrible human being. Somebody who can't help themselves. Somebody who drags you down. That's not who your family is, though. Your family supports you. If you listen to Lori, and if you're, you know, Jeremy, Jessica, if you're listening, you listen to Lori, she doesn't like that you're in there. She doesn't want you in there, but she's not going to try to talk you out of it. She's your mother. It's unconditional. Scientology sets the conditions. That's the difference. It is my hope, my hope that all families uh, disconnected the way Lori has been. If you're listening and you're in Scientology and you've disconnected from your family member, remember, you only get one family. You only get it one time. Don't give up on them. They have not, will not, and should not give up on you. Until next year, that about sums it up. Reconnect, stay connected, and I'll see you then.